Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Uh, well, happy Father's Day to all you dads. It's uh, great to have you with us today. And uh, my name's Tim, and welcome to the Greater Alton Church. Um, we hope that uh, we can help build a bridge to a better life for you. We're looking right now in this series. We've been in this series, our second series for the year, called The Storyteller, The Parables of Jesus. We're looking at the stories and the parables of, of Jesus Christ. Jesus was an incredible storyteller. And today what I want to do is look at a topic that it's interesting that it's on Father's Day. It wasn't planned this way, but I'd like to talk about forgiveness today. You say, why do you say that? Well, in a lot of ways, Father's Day is a mixed emotional day for many of us here. And um, today what I want to look at is this idea of forgiveness. What does Jesus talk about here when he's talking about forgiveness? You know, when Jesus, he he was a guy who, you know, he... uh, practiced forgiveness and encouraged his disciples to be a forgiving people. Now why is that? It's because it's because forgiveness matters. Imagine what it would be like if there were no forgiveness going on in your marriage or in your workplace. If there was no grace period with your bills. There was no forgiveness, no forgiveness whatsoever in the canceling of debt. Just imagine what life would be like. You know, you need it, I need it, you need to give it, I need to give it. And so Jesus spoke about forgiveness quite a bit. He forgave people on the spot, you know, from the thief on the cross to a woman caught in adultery. But then he would tell stories, and these stories uh, would encourage you and I to see God's forgiveness But most of all, to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, do we have a forgiving heart? For example, there's a story of the prodigal son. Remember the son? He leaves. He takes his inheritance, squanders it in the far country. And the great thing is when he comes back after there's a famine, things are going bad for him. He comes back. He decides to go back to his father. And the Bible says that the father ran to meet him. Praise God. That's the kind of God we have. That's what Jesus tried to convey. That, you know, you can mess up. You can screw it up. But not too much to where God won't run to you when you come back to him. And then, he t- of course, we a few weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the two debtors. And he, remember Jesus asking the question, which one you know, appreciated the forgiveness more? Which one was forgiven more? And then, of course, there's this passage that I've talked about probably more on forgiveness than any passage in the Bible. And that's Matthew chapter 18. And we know this passage really well. It's about the parable of the unmerciful servant. And if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn with me, we're going to read Matthew chapter 18. We're going to pick it up in verse 20, uh, 21. It's interesting, after Peter has heard a lesson on how to deal with sin in the kingdom of God, in the church... He hears this, this uh, part of the sermon where he is saying, look, if someone's caught in a sin or, you know, you go talk to them. And if they don't listen to you, take somebody with you. And if they don't listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if they don't listen to the church, uh, you're going to have to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. And you can just see the gears, so to speak, the mental gears of Peter beginning to turn. And he began to ask, you know, these questions. He started thinking about this. And so he asked that question, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus begins to answer this question with another story. Let's pick it up in verse 21. 
Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his attendants or the servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. I really thought I was familiar with this passage, and I've, like I say, I've preached from it dozens of times and looked at it and and um, saw some great insight. But today, I got to tell you, it really it really resonates and it really um, it really makes me think because I'm not very good at forgiving, and sometimes I don't want to forgive. I was talking with uh, a preacher here in the area. We pray together every Sunday morning over our sermons, and he's telling me what I'm preaching on. You're preaching on forgiveness. He goes, man, Tim. He goes, that South Carolina church, that guy walked in there and killed those nine people during prayer. I hope they get him. And I hope he fries. And I go, I beg your pardon? He goes, I hope he fries. I hope they get him. I hope he becomes a Christian. But I hope he gets what he deserves. And I was confused. I said, James, you're confusing me. He goes, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a wicked man. I don't think like God, Tim. And neither do you. Because we all have people on this list that we refuse to forgive. And oh, the way we try to justify our lack of forgiveness. Well, they didn't ask to be forgiven. And by the way, I can't find a passage in the Bible where someone is forgiven and they haven't repented. Okay, I can't find that. In fact, in this passage, we see a guy begging for mercy, begging for grace, and he receives it. But all the way we try to justify and spin the Word of God to fit our little situations so we don't have to forgive people. And I find, guys, that this is probably the most difficult thing to do that Jesus asked me to do. I remember years ago when I became a Christian how hard it was for me to decide to to put him on in baptism and to really be a serious Christian. 
I remember thinking for two years, wrestling with that decision for two long years. And folks, I want to tell you, this is by far more difficult to forgive someone. I find it the most difficult. In fact, I don't even like this passage. There's times when I read it and I go, oh, I wish it wasn't in here. Because forgiveness is hard to do. Even Peter asks the question that all of us think when we hear about forgiveness. We want to know the limit. How much? How many times? How many times do I forgive? Lord, is it seven times? Now, you've got to remember their Jewish requirement was three. So Peter doubles it and adds one. Thinking, there you go. And, and I think it is significant that he uses the number seven, seven times, because he's, cause to the Jew, numbers are important. And so he's giving this idea to Jesus, hey, seven times, which means complete. That's enough, isn't it? Maybe, maybe Peter's recalling the words of Christ in Luke 17 when he says, if you have a guy that sins against you, and he says, I repent, forgive him, and if he does it up to seven times a day, forgive him. I was trying to imagine, that's, that's hard, isn't it? You know, you guy comes into work and, I, I messed up. You messed up. Yeah, I messed up. I won't do that again. Okay, no, no big deal. We're good. Good. And he, two hours later, hey, I messed up again. What happened? I just did it again. You did? Yeah. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Okay. All right. Well, you know, sometimes it happens. Sometimes it takes a lot of effort there. Okay. You know, it's, habits are hard to break. Then at around 11 o'clock, he calls again. I messed up again. What? I did the same thing. What? I messed up again. And I'm, 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 it'll never happen again. Ah, man. Okay, but let's go have lunch and talk about it, okay? <laughs> and so we go to lunch, and we have a good lunch, and he's, you know, okay, we're good. And then he calls about 2 o'clock. Hey, I messed up again. It's what? We just, we just talked about it. What are you doing? I, I, I'm weak. I messed up. And th- this is only four times, and I'm finding it difficult. Can you imagine seven? So Peter, uh, uh, guys, do you forgive somebody seven times in one day for the same thing? I think it's difficult. And so Jesus is, he, he tells, tells them, you know, seven times a day. And Peter's thinking, okay, seven times? Is that, what you're, is that what we do here? Because when we're talking about dealing with, and by the way, he's not talking about my sin with him, with God so much, is our sin with each other. And he's saying, so what's the limit here? And so he's given this word seven to convey a completeness, like that's the limit, right? Then I'm done. And Jesus shoots back with this answer in verse 22. And he says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or as in some translations say, seven times 70. That's 490 times. I can't even keep track of seven times. So why would you... Jesus says, I'm not using just one seven. I'm going to use a few of them. And what is he trying to say here? He's saying to forgive somebody completely really means to forgive someone continually. Oh, that's hard. Amen? To forgive a person again and again 
And again, I don't know about you guys, but I don't always get it right the first attempt when I try to repent. Uh, it's been said of me that Tim, you know, he, 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 he says he's changed or he's going to repent, but he has a relapse now. I, I'm the only one in here that does. And I've got to tell you, I've had to take a stab at it, at repentance, many times, and I'm probably going to be taking a stab at it many more times over the same sin. I think Jesus is saying in this passage, He's trying to get us to understand that forgiveness is a way of life in the kingdom. Just the way it is. I heard a guy one time say to me, you know, church would be a lot of fun, Tim, if it weren't for all those people. And the thing is, you can't get away from that. The truth is, you know, people, you're going to have people. You have them in your family. You have them in your workplace. Right? There's people you work with. There's people that you live with. There's people that you travel with. And we live in a world that is so messed up. Nobody's perfect. Nobody is close, even remotely in the same stadium when it comes to perfect. And so we hurt each other. I've hurt many of you. Why you're still here? (laughs) I don't know how you've made it. Praise God. Because I've hurt you. Some of you have hurt me. Some of the empty seats are people that used to hurt me. We We hurt each other. We disappoint one another. We lie to one another. We have people that betray us undermine what we're trying to do say all kinds of bad things pray for our demise they want their pound of flesh what do we do with those kinds of people see Jesus is not talking about people who cut you off in traffic or or you got outbid on eBay you know I can forgive them those aren't the people he's talking about those are easy peasy he's talking about the person that hurts you. And they didn't do it accidentally. They did it on purpose. Or they did it in an insensitive way. They didn't care what you thought. And see, these are the people we try to justify why we don't forgive. Well, if they'd ask for forgiveness. And almost like stuffing a square peg in a round hole, we're going to make some reason fit so we don't have to forgive. Huh? Yeah. See, forgiveness is difficult to accept and difficult to extend. That's what I've noticed over the years. In fact, I think the difficulty in accepting forgiveness may have... Something to do with why it's so hard for me to extend it. That when it comes to God forgiving me, I think I have a short list and everybody else's is long. That I have a few things that God had to forgive me for, but I'm not as bad as the person that I don't want to forgive. So this morning what I want to do is I want to look at this idea of forgiveness again. And it just happens to be on Father's Day. And maybe you need to forgive your father. I know that I forgave my father after I became one. Because then I found out 
he didn't know what he was doing. Poor guy. But I had to do it at a graveside. I didn't get to look at him eyeball to eyeball. Why should I forgive other people? Jesus, you know, he talks about why we should forgive people in this passage. And and if you and I were to sit down and think, if we had a small group, it would be one of those kind that's real long. Because they say, why should we forgive? And everybody's going to spring up stuff maybe they've heard from online or on bot. Or or maybe they've, they've heard from the pulpit. Oh, there's hundreds of reasons why you should forgive. It'll lower your blood pressure. You'll have peace in your home and harmony. You won't get fired. If you learn to forgive, you know, all these great little blessings that happen. And I mean, we could spend hours just talking about all these other attributes. But you know, Jesus doesn't mention anything about blood pressure in this passage. (laughs) He doesn't mention anything about the workplace or, you know, have a long, good marriage. No, he gives you two reasons. And he says, you want to know the reason you ought to be forgiving? Here are two. And they're the biggest ones. The first one is, I should forgive others because God forgives me. Not only has he forgiven me, but he still does. That's why I put it in present tense. Because God is forgiving me right now. And he's forgiving you right now. Some of you, your minds are wandering. How are we going to get to Golden Corral? He's got seven points. How are we going to beat? How, how in the world are we going to get? There's too much here. He's, this is Father's Day. Just tell us to love our dads and get out of Dodge. That's what we should be doing. Sinner, sinner. You're being forgiven. God's forgiving me for what I just said. Tim, what were you thinking? I don't know. <laughs> Trying to make it difficult to get to Golden Corral, I guess. I don't... No, He forgives you and I now. He's forgiving us now. Look at this. In, 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 uh, it says, the kingdom of heaven. This is what it's supposed to be like at Greater Alton. This is what it's supposed to be like in God's kingdom. And this is the way God wants it to be in his kingdom. It's like a king, that's God, who, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, that's you and I. As he began to make the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold. That's a lot of money even today. I think that one translation says, the, the old NIV, 10,000 talents. What's a talent? Well, to give you some perspective here, Solomon's palace cost 8,000 talents. And it was fancy. King Herod, when he collected the annual taxes from the five provinces of Israel, it came to 800 talents. That was the whole nation. This man owes 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. And says, since he was not able to pay, (laughs) duh. What do you mean, since? There's no way he could have paid that. The master ordered that he, and look at this, he, his wife, and his children, don't you ever think your sin is just private. Don't ever believe that. 
Oh, this is just between me and God. No one else knows. No one else is getting hurt. There's a Greek word for that, baloney. <laughs> All to be sold to repay. And everything he owned. To be, it affects, sin affects everything, even what you have, to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell to his knees. It says, and he says, be patient with me. I will pay back everything. <laughs> There's another funny statement. You say, how's that, Tim? He owes 10,000 talents. How much is that? Well, it takes 6,000 denaries to make up a talent. A denarii is what you pay a Roman soldier for a day. So what he's talking about is a debt of 160,000 years in wages. Since he couldn't pay, we get it. Again, Jesus uses these crazy, drastic words in his stories to get you to see something. That what you and I are forgiven for, this direction, is equivalent to 160,000 years of work. I can't imagine owing that much money. He says, be patient with me. I'll pay you back everything. You think he's sincere? Absolutely. Does he want to pay it back? He don't want to go to jail? Absolutely. Can he pay it back? Absolutely not. He's in way over his head. The servant's master, it says, took pity on him. Canceled the debt, and I love these last words, and let him go. He let him go. He's off the hook. Praise God we have a God that will let us off the hook. Praise God. He looks at the debt you and I have. And it's, and guys, we can't pay. We sing a song, He paid a debt. We, we, we owed, we cannot pay. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. And it's, that's based on this passage. I can't pay it back. You can't pay it back. And God looks at us and says, you're going to jail. And, he said, and we can say, but Lord, please give me some time. Be patient with me. And what's he say? Yes. Praise God. He says, yes. He wants to forgive. God has a forgiving heart. He delights in forgiving. And when you ask him for his forgiveness, he gives it. This isn't a small debt. This isn't an insignificant amount of money. This is an incredible amount. And Jesus wants you and I to see how much we've been forgiven. Have you forgotten? What's the biggest sin you've ever committed? How often have you committed it? What's the biggest sin you've ever committed? God can forgive that. If you're a Christian, He has forgiven that. Praise God. And see, my forgiveness, your forgiveness, this capacity to forgive has to start there by thinking about how much God has forgiven me and continues to forgive me. Colossians 3 says this, Get along with each other. That may perhaps be the hardest passage in the Bible. Who's this to? A church? 
So you know it's difficult. Try to get along with each other and forgive each other. How do I get along with other people? I learn to have a forgiving heart. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. So whenever I start thinking about retaliating, whenever I start thinking about how hurt I've been and betrayed I've been or abused I've been, I need to remember how much I have hurt and abused God and how freely He has forgiven me, canceled the debt. But look what He says in verse 32. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Should you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And what's the answer, church? Yes. Tim, shouldn't you have mercy with people, with your family, with your wife? Tim, shouldn't you have mercy on members of your church, people in your community, customers in your business, fellow workers? Because I've been so gracious to you? Yes. And guys, listen, if I'm unforgiving, it just confirms I either do not understand or appreciate the grace of God. I just don't get it. That's the first motivation. Jesus starts there and says, You want to know how to forgive? You just let, let my forgiveness motivate you to do that. That's a big motivator right there. Number two, I, I should forgive others because God will not forgive me if I'm unforgiving. The unmerciful servant fails to pay it forward. He grabs his, his fellow servant. Remember, he grabs him, chokes him. Where's my money? He owes him a hundred denarii. See, I used to think this was ten bucks. This is not ten dollars. This is more like ten thousand dollars. So it's a significant amount. But nothing compared to the amount God has forgiven me. That's what I need to remember. I used to say this. You know, what happens between you and other people? It's like ten bucks. And I have people come to me and go, you've got to be kidding me. That man beat me up every other day in our marriage. You're telling me that's worth ten bucks? Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I don't understand this passage. No, Jesus is saying, look, what happens between you and other people, it's a significant amount, but nothing compared to what happened between you and God. And he's saying, you've got you to see that comparison. Yes, he understands, but understand also, it's forgivable. That guy says, give me time to pay it back. Do you think he could have paid $10,000 back? Yeah, he could have. Yeah, he could have. It might have took a while. Some of us here, it might not take you very much. Just write a check and you're done. But some of us here, it takes a little longer. But we could get that done. It's doable. But what I find undoable, God does. And he says, now, Tim, what you find doable, you should do. Because it's doable. Especially if you understand this. You can understand what goes on between you and other people. Look what he says here. The master called his servant, you wicked servant. Why is he wicked? 
He calls him wicked. That don't sound like a compliment, does it? No. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. I canceled all of it. Not part of it. All of it. I listened to what you said. I heard your your plea. And so I responded to it. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Well... Jesus says, let, let my love motivate you and let my wrath motivate you too. You know, Jesus, it sounds like Jesus is saying that forgiveness is a matter of life and death. It is. How many deal breakers can you find in the Bible where God says, no, we're done? I bet you can count them on one hand. And this is one of them. This is how important forgiveness is. Guys, I believe this. I believe that the greatest risk we face as church at Greater Alton is not the loss of our building or staff members. It's not the the loss of membership or money or our reputation. Our greatest risk of loss is losing heaven itself. Because when you stop and think about it, heaven is made up of people who have been forgiven and are forgiving. And if I harbor and hold unforgiveness in my heart, and I'll tell you, church, I'm only telling you this because the Bible says this. I'm not telling you this because of, of a st- sterling example, okay? I am telling you, man, that if we hold unforgiveness in our heart, we are not going to heaven. What are you saying, Tim? I thought when God forgave it, it was forgiven. Well, he, he says he won't bring it up again. I don't think he's talking about those sins. I think he's saying this. If you stop forgiving people, I stop forgiving you. I'm not going to take all those old sins you did and bring them up against you. I don't have to wait. You're going to give me plenty of ammunition. It's that serious? It's that serious. He calls him wicked. Who are you withholding forgiveness from? Peter says, how many times? How long? What's the limit? And Jesus says, it's a way of life, Tim. It's a way of life, Peter. It's a way of life, Greater Alton. It's so important that you could lose your salvation over it. Look what he says here in Matthew 6. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. That's just as important as repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and your sins will be forgiven. Now I know some of us here are going, Holy cow, Tim, it's Father's Day. You're putting this on me? I'm, I'm just I'm telling you, we had it. I didn't even look at when Father's Day is. Well, next time, be more cautious. Okay, next year I'll work on it, okay? But right now we're stuck with this, okay? <laughs> and, and I want to say, let me tell you, when I look at this idea of forgiveness, and it's such a confusing topic, and what do we do with it, and how do you know what forgiveness is and what it's not? I want to talk about what it's not for a little bit, okay? 
So let's talk about that as we're dealing with this, because I know some of you are going, oh, you're just, oh, it's like I'm being, having a gun held to my head. I hope it isn't that way for you. I hope it's the grace that's in your heart, not a gun to your head that makes you forgive. Look at the Bible says there, I mean, or look at these thoughts here. Okay, they're up on the screen. For, for, for example, forgiveness is not making light of sin. I want you to know, when I read my Bible, I don't get the impression that forgiveness makes light of sin. What do you mean, Tim? Well, I must be forgiving, so therefore, that's no big deal. I need to say that. It's no big deal. It's okay. Everything's all right. What? You were abused. What? Somebody shot somebody. What? Jesus died on the cross to forgive sin. Oh, he didn't make light of it. It is a big deal. So forgiveness does not require that you say, Oh, it's no big deal. You ever said that? Well, I want to be forgiving. You don't have to say that. If it's a big deal, it's a big deal. Forgiveness does not require that you make light of sin. Forgiveness is not the absence of consequences. There are consequences. David slept with his best friend's wife and then killed him and covered it up. When you read about it, Nathan the prophet comes to David and he says, Hey, and he tells him the story and he says, You're the guy. And David goes, I have sinned. She's pregnant. And Nathan says, David, don't worry. God has taken away your sin. You read the passage, it says you've taken away your sin. You've been forgiven. But the baby's going to die. What? The baby's going to die. I thought if I was forgiven, you'd take away the consequences. No. The baby's going to die. And let me tell you something else. Strife and turmoil are going to be a mark in your family for the rest of your life. Because this was a big deal. So forgiveness does not mean, okay, I forgive you so you don't have to go to jail. There are consequences. There's several places in the Bible that show where God has forgiven people. He forgave Israel for their sin of not trusting Him going into the promised land. He forgives them, but they wander around for 40 years. There's consequences. Sometime read Psalms 99 verse 8. And just maul that around your mind. Psalms 99 verse 8. It talks about God forgiving us. Yet he punishes our misdeeds. So forgiveness is not making light of sin. It's not the absence of consequences. Forgiveness is not denying the pain. It kind of relates to the first one. Oh, I must, I must have an unforgiving heart. Why? Because when I think of it, it still hurts. I'm still in pain. You know why you're still in pain? Because it was painful. Yeah, but Tim, I, I, should, I shouldn't feel pain anymore. I, it should be healed by now. How will you think of that? Jesus on the cross, crucified on the cross, says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Is he in pain? Is he forgiving? Yes. In fact, I've learned, and I'm learning that forgiveness helps me heal of the pain. That I'm going to be in pain as I'm forgiving for a long, long time. It may be all my life.
Another thing about forgiveness, it's not forgetting the offense. I've heard people say, and I've said it before, forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. But the thing is, I remember the pain. I remember the events. I remember what happened like it happened yesterday. Is there something wrong with me? Let me tell you guys, I'll tell you when there's something wrong with you, if you've lost your memory. There's something seriously wrong with you if you can't remember. They call that senility. They call that Alzheimer's. You know what I'm saying? If your, your brain, all your brain is doing is working. That's all your, your brain will allow you to forget. But I've heard that. Forgive and forget. We should forget. No, uh, I don't know if the... Well, the, God says, uh, when, I, when I forgive, I remember your sins no more. You think God doesn't remember your sins? You're made in His image and you can remember yours and a lot of others. What's He really meaning there? Is He saying He can't remember them? Or is He saying, I choose not to bring them up? I choose not to hold them against you. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says about love, and this is God is love, and look what the Bible says about love. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs others do. It doesn't keep it. It doesn't hold it against people. So forgiveness is not ignoring the pain or, or making light of the sin or the absolute consequences or forgetting the offense. I think every time we remember that particular offense, it's our opportunity to forgive again. So how do I develop a forgiving heart? Or better yet, what does a forgiving heart look like? Now let's get into this and we can go to Golden Corral, okay? Here we go. How do I develop a forgiving heart? Well, first, I appreciate God's forgiveness. It starts there. And we've already talked about it, so I won't talk about it too much here. But guys, it's, Im- it's impossible, listen to me, it's impossible to forgive others without experiencing God's forgiveness. If you're having an incredibly hard time forgiving people, it's because you've yet to make that connection to experience the forgiveness of God. And I suggest you look at that, value it, take hold of it, and and look at what does it mean to be forgiven by God. Again, like I said before, Jesus uses extreme amounts, 10,000 $10,000 versus millions upon millions of dollars. And I've got to see, I don't have a short list of sins that God forgave. You do not have a short list of sins that God forgave. And the death on the cross told you how long that list was. Well, he died for all the sins of mankind. And if you would have been the only mankind, one person, he would have died on that cross. And I need to appreciate this forgiveness. Ephesians 4 says, Forgive each other the same as God forgave you through Christ. And it's going to be hard for me to know how to forgive other people if I don't understand how he forgave me. So maybe I need to spend some time, some prayer and attention on the things and how good God's forgiveness is. Number two, I resist the urge to get even. If I want to develop a forgiving heart, 
I must resist the urge to get even. You know, the master doesn't follow through with his initial response. He's going to put him in prison. But the man begs, and so he lets him off the hook. And when people hurt us, it's our natural tendency to retaliate. It's our natural tendency to make it even. And the problem is, it's never even. It's never even. It's almost like, and have you ever met anybody like this? Or been like this? You're having a conflict, and you raise the ante. And then they raise the ante. Remember that old Bugs Bunny cartoon, Yosemite Sam, the Hessian without aggression? I'm Sam Hessian, and I've got aggression. You know, you have that music, and they're chasing each other. He's got a gun, and Bugs Bunny comes back with a rifle, and he comes back with a bigger gun, and Bugs Bunny comes back with a cannon, and then it's a stick of dynamite, and then it's a a bomb. That's the way it works. Lack of forgiveness. We we have to up the ante. Or they up the ante. And so you got to call it and then then some. And then you say, There, we're even, we're friends again. When we're not, it's not even. You and I don't have the capacity to even the score. And so we must resist this tendency. We do it by being rude. We do it by being grumpy. We do it, oh, that's how I do it. I'm sorry. We, we, do, it, we do it by, by uh, talking behind people's backs. So we do it by just neglect. Or oh, There I go again. That's me again. And nobody else is doing this, right? Nobody else, of course. No, we must resist the urge to get even. First Thessalonians 5.15 says, Make sure that nobody... He says this to a church. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Wrong for wrong doesn't work. Resist that urge. He says in Romans 12, Dear friends, don't try to get even. Let God take revenge. I wonder why. Well, first of all, the Scripture says, I'm the one to take revenge. It's not yours to do. And every time I seem to have taken revenge, I, I, do, I do such a lousy job, it doesn't fix the problem. So resist the urge to get even. I refuse to match the dialogue. I refuse to match the rudeness. I refuse to match the, the inconsideration. See why this, this topic is harder than getting baptized? Giving money? Bible, you know, I need to read my Bible. Well, that's really hard. I bet this is harder. We have to resist this urge to get even. Number three, I treat others with grace. I treat other people with grace. I was with my son. We're in the car discussing some matters. You know, and I talk freely to my youngest son, Matthew. I do with Nathan, too. But I talk real... I just blah, 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 blah. Talk about anything and everything. And he sits there, and I can tell he's thinking. He has the look on his face that his mother has just as I'm about to get clobbered. If you know Matthew, you know he gets, uh-oh, here we go. And I sit in the review room and he goes, you know, Dad? And I go, uh-huh. I think we just need to treat people with grace. Huh? I just thought, I don't know, we're listening to this. We just need to treat one another with grace. What do you mean by that? 
You know what he meant? Being kind. Being kind. It says in, in verse 27, the master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and look at this kindness, and let him go. He didn't lecture him. He just canceled it and let him go. See, treating people with grace, I'm new to this. Treating people with grace is to give them some understanding. Like I said before, I gave no margin for my own dad. He's a drunk, beats up my mom, he's vile. He makes the dumbest decisions. And then I become a father. And I, and I see my home, I, I swore my home was going to be different than my old man's. And it was much different. God has blessed me so much. But then I begin to realize my dad was an alcoholic. He grew up in a home of alcoholism. He grew up poor. He was very insecure. And as I begin to see that, I begin to see not my father is such a bad guy, but probably more balanced. Now I understand why he acted the way he did. Now I, get, I understand this. And now I, I, when I have memories of my childhood, they're balanced with good ones too and more understanding. I'm not saying he gets a pass. He should get a pass like, well, that's okay. You go ahead and just keep doing what you're doing, Dad. No. But it sure really helps me understand how difficult it is to be a dad. James Lampley told me something this morning. He's read a story where uh, in a prison, they, uh, every Mother's Day, they get out tables, and they never have enough tables and chairs because all the moms that come to see their sons and daughters in prison. But on Father's Day, they don't bother. Why? Why does that happen? How we need good dads, don't we? But man, do they get any grace? I don't know. I don't even know how to process it. The Bible says this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. They all go hand in hand, doesn't it? Kindness, compassion, and then he goes on to explain forgiving. Those two together is a forgiving heart. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Since Christ has been so gracious to you, church, be gracious to others. That's what he's saying. Treat other people with grace. Give them the benefit of the doubt and offer kindness. Number four, I grieve when those who hurt me fall. I'm ashamed of myself this morning. I'm ashamed of myself because I find myself at times gloating when someone who's hurt me is going through a tough time. Recently I found out some good news to someone. Someone's cancer free. My biggest critic my biggest critic is cancer-free. And I'm not excited. 
That's wicked. You hear me? That's wicked. When we gloat, when I gloat, when someone who's hurt me is going through a tough time that's hit the wall, I shouldn't be rejoicing. I should be grieving. Forgiving hearts grieve when someone who has hurt us experiences failure. David and Saul had a very volatile and tough, abrasive relationship. If you remember, Saul and David, David had killed the tens of thousands. Saul only killed a thousand. That was the popular song. Saul hated that song. David was increasing in popularity. Saul was losing his kingdom. David was going to be taking his place. And if you remember, David is running for his life. Saul tries to kill him over and over again. And finally Saul is killed on the field of battle. And what does David do? Yeah! Yes, 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 he got what he deserved. No. He weeps and kills the messenger and says, what an awful thing that has happened to the Lord's anointed. How do you feel when someone who has hurt you, that's betrayed you, that has undermined you, complained about you, They hit a wall. Ecclesiastes 33 verse 11. James reminded me of this passage early this morning. This is what God says. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. In Proverbs 24, verse 17, the Bible says, Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when they stumble. Do not let your heart rejoice. How do you feel when you hear about your friend, perhaps a very close friend, you're not speaking to them right now, and they have a bad day, or something bad happens to them? A forgiving heart does not gloat, but grieves. One of my closest friends, we're not speaking to one another right now. We have the same birthday. And when I hear he hits a wall, and I hear somebody go, yeah, I want to punch him. When I hear he has something happen, I go, man, I don't want, does it have to happen like that? Maybe it does. But if I ever feel like, yes, I remember thinking, I went, guys, I have went through these phases in the last few years. Hurt, anger, bitterness, and now I'm beginning to grieve. For the fellow that I had sweet fellowship with, I don't have fellowship with right now. And a forgiving heart longs for the day that you can call him on the phone or he'll call you on the phone and say happy birthday. Number five, I pray for those who hurt me. 
I pray for those who hurt me. Jesus said, whenever you pray, forgive anything you have against anyone. He goes, when you're praying, and by the way, isn't it interesting that when you're praying, what do we find our prayers mostly about? Probably people. And so he's saying, when you pray, forgive anything you have against anyone. Then your heavenly Father, or your Father in heaven, will forgive your failures. And then he says this, ask God to bless the people who ask for bad things to happen to you. Pray for the people who are mean to you. Now I tell you, I got to tell you, I read Psalms in the book of Psalms and David, he says God crush their teeth, you know, break their teeth, break their backs, break their legs. And I love those prayers. I got to be honest with you. I go, yeah, there we go. That's, I'll pray for him. God crush him, break him, nuke him, behead him, do whatever you got to do, blah, blah, blah. But as you read the book of Psalms, as you read David praying about other people, what I forgot and what I begin to notice was he initially prays that way but changes. He starts saying, crush them, break them. And then he starts going, and Lord, you're so good to me. And I just pray. He changes the way he prays for people. So I want to suggest to you that if you've got somebody that's hurt you and you're having a hard time forgiving them, pray for them. Because what happens is God melts your heart. Number six, I seek reconciliation. Do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. You know, I've learned over the years not everybody's going to get along with me, even if I do what's right. Even if I do what, uh, my convictions, not everybody likes it. Not everybody's going to like me for it. I'm still, I'm still wrestle with that because I, have, I still have a little insecurity there. And I think Paul understands that kind of stuff. And he says, look, it's on your end, Tim. You do everything you can to be at peace with everybody. In other words, you refuse to be done with them. Like I said, I told you these phases I was going through. One of those phases was, I don't care if I ever speak to this person again. I don't care if I ever deal with this person again. I'm just fine not dealing with it. And that's when God convicted me and said, how dare you? That's your brother in Christ. That's your sister in Christ. Don't you want to reconcile? I want to reconcile. I have a willing... My my heart is full of forgiveness. I'm a forgiving heart, and I want to reconcile. I came from heaven to earth so I could reconcile you, Tim. Won't you travel and reconcile? Don't you want that? And there's where I'm at now, guys. I want reconciliation. It'll take repentance... On both parts. A forgiving heart seeks reconciliation. God made the first move. It's been encouraging. Um, you know, guys, um, your leadership, your eldership will occasionally reach out and try to reconcile. You may not know that. Because we know we need to make every opportunity, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace with all men. And someday I think we will have reconciliation. I just wish you'd hurry up, huh? Number seven, I serve them in their distress. A forgiving heart, I serve them in their distress. What do you mean by that, Tim? 
Well, look at this passage this is in Exodus 23. What a principle here. Whenever you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering loose, be sure to take it back to him. Here's my loophole. It doesn't say go look for the... Don't go look for that lost one. <laughs> but if you run across it, God crosses you with, path, with a path of someone who needs your help that you just have a difficult time with. He says, you don't put a bullet or a spear in that ox. You bring it back to the man or bring it back to the woman. Bring it back to the owner. You serve them. This passage kind of reminds me of the, when Jesus said, if a guy says, go one mile, go two. It kind of reminds me of that passage. And I believe this step is probably the most difficult of all. Because who wants to help somebody that's hurt you? To actually take some kind action of service to someone who's hurt you. But let me tell you, when you do, you're more like Jesus Christ than ever before. Who needs your forgiveness this morning? Who needs, who needs you to, to, to be forgiving? Now listen, we're not talking about oh, uh, you know, ignoring the pain. No, we're not talking about that or removing the consequences. But who needs you to extend forgiveness? I know in marriage, forgiveness is a daily thing. And I'm finding that to be true in friendships as well, in working relationships. It's a way of life. And what I've learned most of all, folks, is this, is that when I trust Jesus Christ, I'm able to forgive. When I trust what He says, and I trust what He's done, I'm really able to, I'm able to take a stab at it. And get the job done. Who needs your forgiveness this morning? We're going to give you a chance to fill out a card that's in your bulletin. We're going to sing a song. You know, most of you know the routine. We're going to sing a song, and you can write in your card maybe a comment or a prayer request. And then we'll sing another song and take up those cards and that contribution. Fellas, you dads out there, love your kids, man. Love your kids. So good to have dads here today. God bless you with a happy Father's Day. Kids, if you got a dad somewhere and he's not here, man, go find him. Give him a text, talk, something. You know, my mother and I, we weren't speaking to one another for a couple of years. Some of you know why. We got into it. And it was a preacher on Mother's Day that talked about how to love your mother. And I was at Bone Gap watching him on TV. A TV preacher on top of that. <laughs> and he messed me up so much I had to... And we're two hours, you know, it's two hours delay, so I text my mother, I want you to know, Mom, you're still my mom. I love you very much. And she comes back, tears are running down my cheeks. Thank you so much for what a Mother's Day. Of course, we had to talk then. We had to call. And there was some reconciliation. It's not all perfect, but we're talking now and we're sharing things together where, you know, I miss her. 
If you've got a dad that's not here today and you go, man, I don't know if I can do it, I'm going to just give you the courage to try. Just try. Let his forgiveness, your Heavenly Father's forgiveness, help you deal with your dad too, okay? Let's pray. Holy God, Father God, you're so good. You're really, really good. You run to us when we blow it. You protect us when we're not even aware that we're in danger. You tell us what we need to hear. You'll even discipline us, Father, in a fair way, only to bring out holiness. It's because you love us. Thank you for that. But most of all, Father, thank you for forgiveness. I think about everybody, right now that list of people that have hurt me, have wronged me, have done things to me, even people I've forgiven, Father, and I could add up everything that anybody's ever done to me, everybody's done to me, and it wouldn't come close to the list that I've had against you, that I've done to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for letting me go off the hook. Oh God, what are we going to do today as a church? What will each of us do when we leave this place? Will we let your forgiveness touch us in a way to where we can forgive others? I know for some of us it's very, this is very difficult. And Father, I pray you... Not that you take all the difficulty away, but that you'd make it easier for us to open our heart to resist our lack of forgiveness and just love those that have hurt us. Father, I pray that some of us here have been, you know, I I don't even know if $10,000 would come close to numerically equaling what they've went through as children, as adults. All I know, Father, is compared to what we've done to you, it's, it's, it doesn't compare. And Father, I pray we'll accept that and let that begin to form how we're going to deal with people who hurt us and find great healing. Father, thank you for Jackie being home. Oh, God, heal her body and bless her, Father, with good health. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.